0: Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Cavana, joined by David Smith. On this episode, predictions and previews. We are making super specific predictions about the upcoming season, both for drivers and crew chiefs, and our deep preview into the Daytona 500. Yes, it is racing time. But first, as always, this is episode 90 of Positive Regression. This is the Jody Ridley edition. David, Jody Ridley, certainly a name you know if you are a deep NASCAR fan, 139 career cup series races, one of those interesting stat lines because he has one career victory, a very uh, unique list to be on. Uh, he did many of his races in a number 90 Juni Dunleavy machine. David, this is another driver, not a great stat line, but his name endures. Tell us why.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, to speak about Junie Dunlavy, what that name meant in this sport, that was a team at NASCAR's highest level for over 50 years, and they only scored one race win, and it came in 1981 at Dover in a car driven by Jody Ridley, and Ridley's own career path during his march to the Cup Series, and then after it, it was a little bit weird. I mean, he was a successful driver before he got to NASCAR. He was the track champion at the historic Nashville Fairgrounds in 1979. And the next year he took his, uh, his game national. He, he was a rookie in the cup series, one rookie of the year, his sophomore year in 1981. That was his age 39 season, Alan. Ding, ding. So we are, <laughs> we are on brand and he ended up winning this race for Junie Dunlavey, but really it was after his cup career that he established himself as a racing name in the short track lexicon. And again, he had some wins, but this was when he started tallying these bona fides. He ended up winning the Myrtle Beach 400 in 1983. He won the Snowball Derby in 1985, and he became a six-time all-Pro Series champion in NASCAR's regional divisions in the years thereafter. Eventually he was nominated uh, and, and elected to the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame in 2007. And uh, Georgia, sticking with Georgia, he actually subbed for Bill Elliott hmm. in the 1989 Daytona 500 when Bill had a, a broken wrist and he had to, to get out of the race during the race. So Jody hopped in the car and um, did his fellow Georgian a solid but um, good career just a, a strange path uh, not often that we see a rookie at age 38 uh, and then the the success that he had at 39 but it's one that you can imagine if we had backtracked he had gotten into a car earlier we could have seen more from Jody Ridley, but he did go out and make his name in auto racing.
0: A long line of Georgia race car drivers. David, I always love uh, the names you come up with because I do a little research. And if you look at that number 90 car when Jody was in it, a wonderful paint scheme, uh, sort of like a, a Domino's box with the colors of red, white and blue. It looks really nice with the number 90. And, and then just remembering the other number nineties, you could have gone with a few of these with the, with Dunle- Dunleavy Racing because, uh, David, in our era, if you will, us nineties kids, I, I love the Helig Meyer car because it had that wonder, especially when there was the black and that sort of teal color. That was a great paint scheme, that number 90 car back in the day. Oh, yes.
1: That Dick Trickle special. Yes, yep. of course. And they also had the, uh it was kind of that that teal blue with a red number, yeah. kind of an odd combo, but it really popped because you could always locate it on the racetrack. And also, if you haven't seen it, the Red Baron Pizza number 90 that Ken Schrader Was driving, he was in that car before he made it over to Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, so that one, I'm, I'm still clicking on internet sites, trying to find a (laughs) shirt of that. Uh, just, ah, man, it's just, yeah, good, good looking, uh, good looking schemes for that 90 car, but only one career win out of 50 years of racing for Junie Donleby's team. All thanks to Jody Ridley.
0: Hell of a stat. Episode 90 of Positive Regression, the Jody Ridley edition. David, let's get this episode started, right? Because we are about to drop the green flag on a new season, the 2021 cup season. And I I think we've done this a few times in in the past seasons, but we are going to make predictions and, but unlike most others, podcast shows, what have you, we're not just going to predict like who, who's in the playoffs or who the cup champion may be. We are going for very specific predictions on the season. And David, you came up with a good concept of we're going to choose a driver at the front of the field, maybe a driver in the middle of the field and a crew chief. We're going to come up with predictions for one of us, uh, one each for each of us. And, uh, see how we do. Maybe we'll look back on this at the end of the year to see how we did about the upcoming season, but we're going to make very specific predictions. So David, I-, I will let you start. We'll start at the front of the field, or maybe mm. you want to chime in on what we're, the, the venture we're about to take, but I'll let you, uh, I'll, I'll let you give your uh, preamble and then go into it.
1: <laughs> I don't know if I have much of a preamble, but I, I will say that I just, i I enjoy looking at the numbers i looking uh looking for stories within the numbers, and that's kind of what we're predicting here. I don't know, yeah yeah i I'm not gonna predict a a championship or uh you know something spectacular from a rookie or anything like that. I'm gonna leave that to other shows, but we'll do what we do the best, right? We'll just try to find these odd quirky little things that we believe can come true so. I'll, uh, I'll start. We'll, we'll start at the front of the field and, uh, I'm going to say, uh, Kurt Busch will be hmm. my, uh, my first subject. I, I predict Kurt Busch will rank outside the top 10 for the season in central speed, but he will win one race. And Alan, this will extend his current streak of seven consecutive seasons with at least one win.
0: All right. Good one. I, and I, I thought you were going to add that also ranking outside the top 10 in central speed, because I don't know how fast he was last year with even getting his victory. So how good was he last year?
1: Yeah. So, that, okay. Yeah. Good point. I'll backtrack. Last week, uh, I wrote that Kurt Busch is an elite driver for a team that's just barely keeping up appearances. And, and maybe I'm wrong. If, if, you or our listeners want to quibble and say that Kurt Bush is actually a step below that top tier, then that's fine. I'll grant you that. But to me, it is odd that it requires a fluke just over the last few years, weird shit happening in a race from the way that it breaks to – successful strategy being just isolated to just this number one team the way that they won in Las Vegas. It takes a lot to happen in order for Kurt Bush to be placed in the scenario uh, that that he owns and and that is restarts right Alan I mean he's the guy that can do the impossible. no one else has the audacity to try and pass six cars in one corner at Atlanta. Kurt actually did that. Uh, he, was, he was the top restarter from the non-preferred groove last year. He ranked six in 550 horsepower pier despite having the 11th fastest car on 550 tracks. Wow. And, Alan, I want you to think about this. I want our listeners to think about this. But I bet the number of times he's had a car— capable of stomping a field, I bet that can fit on one hand. Now, Kurt will probably admit it at this point himself that he's responsible for for some of that. He has talked himself out of rides, but it's kind of amazing to think about. He turns 43 this year. He is a champion. He has 32 wins to his name, and yet, given his ability, it seems like there should be more. He has had... A very interesting career, eccentric against the norm, and I find that fascinating and, and I just I think somehow he just finds his way to victory lane again because he he has the nose for that
0: all right. good prediction there. a little safe. I mean, I'm sorry, David, but I mean, he's kurt bush he's he's supposed to win, isn't he? I mean, is, is that a little safe of a prediction?
1: I think my counter to that is that he drives for Chip Ganassi Racing. Okay. And that that is that's is what makes this sort of not safe. Nothing against that crew, but that organization has failed to build something substantial around Some some pretty heady talents, you know, Kyle Larson before him, Kurt Busch now. It's not like what Chip Ganassi does on the IndyCar side where they're throwing all the resources they have at Scott Dixon, and Scott Dixon's a virtuoso in his own right, but that's not happening over here. And it seems like the the drivers that get into it at Chip Ganassi Racing sort of have to put things on their shoulders, make things happen. And that's what we're seeing Kurt do. And he has a lot of success, and we can point to that. He dominated his average running whereabouts last year. I wrote about that uh, on the SWOT analysis for motorsportsanalytics.com. I think he can continue to do it. He's going to be up against some fall off. But that's where I think maybe this isn't so safe. So that's my very specific prediction.
0: All right. Write it down. With a potentially slower car, Kurt Busch wins a race this year. Uh For me, David, at the front of the field, I'm going to say Joey Logano becomes a top 10 passer once again. Ooh. This may okay. be easy picking, but here's where I'm going with this. I'm really, I'm hoping for a case of positive regression because Joey Logano's passing, his ability to quickly and efficiently skirt traffic. David, that, that skill of his, it was so oddly woeful at times last year. You wrote an entire article about it last summer because it was so down compared to what he had done the year before. In terms of his surplus passing value in 2020, Logano was the fifth worst driver in the series. I think he was squeezed between the, the two Dylan brothers. And think of what he did despite his down year of passing. So this was a season in which he finished, you know, I'm talking 2019 now. He finished as a top 10 passer in 2019. And your article rightly pointed out, look, there was no practice last year. Maybe that affected some adjustments. It was his first year with Paul Wolf last year. Paul Wolfe didn't make the best decisions on pit road. Maybe Joey Logano found himself in traffic that he had not found himself in the previous few years. Wasn't able to navigate it as quickly or as good as he should have in 2020. I just think maybe I'm too hopeful, David. I think some of those things fix itself. I think a naturally talented race car driver as skilled as Joey Logano, I think those woes turn around and his passing numbers and ability show once again, and he becomes a top ten passer once again.
1: I love that. I'm here for the Joey Logano bounce back, and I'm really excited for that because if he nails this one statistical category, a whole world opens up for him, and and he now becomes a driver that can have a five, six, seven win season, and he's not far from doing this. Yeah, he was he was bad on the 750 tracks. He was an he was a minus passer, but his best track type uh from a passing perspective was the one mile tracks. He was a positive passer uh per his surplus passing value. There are more of those on the schedule. There are more 750 tracks on the schedule. So it sort of opens up for him. I like this, and 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 where you're going with this, I I think this is a transformation if it occurs that can take a. And yeah, he's a championship contender, and and a former champion, but this can take him back to just being a serious high level favorite uh, for for this year's Cup Series title.
0: Joey Logano, going places in 2021. At least that's my prediction, so we'll look back on it. All right, David, that's the front of the field. Let's look a little more mid-pack because there are certainly a lot of storylines there. Uh, Just for example, David, I think back to, say, Michael McDowell last year, who, when you look at the numbers, did very well in terms of achievement, in terms of having a crew chief that made good decisions, and made a jump in terms of performance. There are things to look at in the middle of the field. What Give me a prediction, a super specific prediction for maybe a driver in the middle of the field. Field.
1: I'm going to pick on a driver who is now in the middle of the field where he previously was not. Mm. Eric Jones Boom. will lead the NASCAR Cup Series in surplus passing value on non-drafting ovals. Okay. so I see where you're going with this, I think. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. I, I don't believe that this is a stretch. He ranked fourth in this metric last season. Chris Bell ranked first. Jimmy Johnson ranked second. So right off the bat, he's out. Ricky Stenhouse ranked third. Jones is right there. And what's been placed on his shoulders this season with Richard Petty Motorsports, just based on the RPM that we saw last season, is pretty absurd when you think about it. Uh, a team that ranked 24th in speed last year, there were... No other noteworthy personnel moves over the off-season for, for RPM. I've seen some uh sponsor info kind of trickle out in advance of the start of this season. But it would appear that the big investment that RPM made in the off-season was in its driver. And I've written about this. I've talked about this ad nauseum. But that's that's not enough. Eric Jones is a great get. And he can do a lot. But to actually compete for a playoff spot, you're going to need a lot more than that. But my suggestion is that that's not going to keep Eric Jones from trying to do this. Um, he will, uh, I think he will fare well in this metric. I think there's a lot that's, that could go against him metric qualifying this year um, lining up by, uh, by lap and speed how NASCAR did it towards the end of last season. I don't think that that's going to fall in his favor. Jerry Baxter, crew chief, cost Bubba Wallace 39 positions on non-drafting ovals last season. And, I mean, Baxter could change his stripes, right? But I feel like Jones sort of knows what he can control in this scenario. And that 20th to 25th range in the running order, if that is where you're dropping Eric Jones, he's going to boss all of those drivers in that whereabouts. And also I can envision a scenario in which he has to pass those same drivers about two or three times. A race. <laughs> and, and when that happens, he, he will pad those, those stats. Pad. Yep. <laughs> he will pad those passing numbers while, <laughs> while, while treading water. Like when you see him on the ticker, it's, he's going to be in the same position. But he, will, he will be, he will be padding stats and that's what you do if you're him, right? There's a, there's probably a cap on what he can accomplish this year until we see otherwise from RPM. But uh, but this is a series best surplus value. I think that that is doable.
0: See, this is why I love the, like talking with you, David, and doing this podcast, because every time I see the 43 car now during the season, I'm going to think about that and sort of laugh and wonder, you know, how many times has he passed that car today? And, and then we can go back and look, but that is what I'm going to be thinking about throughout the season. I, yeah,
1: that's something I'm going to keep an eye on too. And I, I wish that we need to start asking better questions of, uh, of these drivers just to say, how many, how many times <laughs> did, uh, you, you, you passed the 34 there, buddy? Like I, I, I would like to hear some of those answers cause that's just for, for some of those guys, that's gotta be like, Oh, this guy again. Okay. All right, fine. I'll figure it out. But. That's uh yeah, that's something you need to keep an eye on. Good stuff. David goes with the forty-three for our mid-pack, a very specific prediction.
0: Uh David, I- I'm going a little a little you know, uh, baseline here, baseline stat, but my middle of the field super specific prediction is kind of simple. I think Chase Briscoe wins a road course race this year. And this goes against everything that I normally stand for. I do not believe, I do not pick rookies to win races. Uh, I do. I think it should be very hard to be in the cup series, which it is. Therefore, I don't think rookies should be expected to win races, but Maybe I'm thinking more with my heart than my brain here, but I just like Chase Briscoe and what in the position that he is in. I like the momentum. I like his talent. I like his ability to set goals and achieve them when he said eight wins last year and went out and won nine. Uh, you know, he did it against some of the best drivers that one on one with Kurt Bush at, at Darlington. I just like his talent. But specifically, David, I think the road courses just provide the opportunity. I mean, we can't say it enough in terms of how many there are now on the Cup Series schedule. He did he had great performances in the Xfinity car, got some checkered flags. But his crew chief, John Klausmeier, had the decent speed on the 750 tracks last year with the 14 car. In terms of positional gain, green flag pit cycles, all that stuff, again, Klausmeier had decent numbers on road courses. I think you combine that potential with the potential of Chase Briscoe. I believe he finds his way to victory lane on a road course this year in the Cup Series, which is, uh, by my standards, a wild prediction. But I think it can happen.
1: Yeah, I wonder what that 14 team is going to do. I I wonder how they're going to treat road courses this year because – Last year, there was only one during the regular season. There's one in the playoffs where Clint Boyer. I mean, they they kind of went for it. This the strategy was a bit questionable, but also he kind of needed to go for it. I wonder if they're going to treat this like a points padding event, like you know, thinking that Chase Briscoe can at least run out front for the majority of this race. While there's no guarantee that he wins, let's collect the points. And I can see him emerging from these six regular season road course races with like a high number of stage points coming from them. That can really help them. So I think, I think whether this comes true depends on the team's focus. And I think they'll get a feel for that where he stacks up against cup level competition on road courses early with, with the Daytona road course event, but I think that's going to be telling. And I think how he performs at other tracks, like if he is just out in left field at the oval tracks and he's, you know, still a rookie, still learning and still trying to get his feet wet. But if that's the case, then I think they flip the switch and gun for wins uh, in regular season road course races. And I think that's the scenario that that you're probably looking for. It's a dice roll, I know, especially
0: with a rookie, a new team, all that stuff. But that's why we make predictions. And uh look, if it comes true, I get to brag. If it doesn't, no one's going to remember. No. <laughs> but we'll see what we can do. So that is my super specific prediction for a mid-pack driver. We'll see where Chase Briscoe ends up. In 2021, David, let's move on to the crew chiefs. Last week, we had our crew chief draft, did a whole podcast about them. So let's make some predictions about uh, a crew chief, uh, at least one crew chief. Who are you going with? Who is your, what is your super, very specific prediction for a crew chief in 2021?
1: Mine will be all about Greg Ives, uh, crew chief for Alex Bowman on the uh, the new 48 Hendrick Motorsports car. Greg Ives will strategize his way to a win with Alex Bowman on a 550 horsepower track this year. Hmm, Okay. Alan, I feel I feel like Greg Ives is a star in waiting. He already has a NASCAR Xfinity Series Championship on his resume with Chase Elliott. He's already competing for wins. He's winning races with Alex Bowman and the speed is there. And I wonder sometimes if he has another Rodney Childers just waiting for wow. that chance to be paired with a fully realized driver. Remember, I mean, Rodney Childers at Michael Waldrop Racing, when he was a crew chief, he couldn't even compete for a playoff spot because he had multiple drivers yep, in the yep. car every year. And you you pair him with Harvick, and, oh, he's maybe the best crew chief in the sport I think Ives has that potential. Um, and maybe, maybe it is with Bowman once Bowman is fully cooked. Maybe Greg Ives lands a driver ready to win a championship right now. Um, he's with Bowman now. He can win with Bowman. I say he does that this season in a race in which his strategy wins the day for them. Uh, I look at his numbers 60% of the time when Alex Bowman pitted from the top five last year under green flag conditions. He kept his spot, 60%. That is tied for the top mark among returning crew chiefs for Ives. The series average for that, Alan, was 40%, so well over that. And uh, the 88 crew last year is the 48 crew now. That pit crew ranked as the fifth fastest in median four-tire box time under yellow, Faster than uh, the JGR 18, the JGR 11, and the Penske 2. So that was a strength for that team. Uh, yeah, I like this team to pull out one from their nether regions oh. this year in <laughs> uh, in getting Alex Bowman a win.
0: Now, now, why why this prediction in terms of I mean, just because Alex Bowman has won? We've seen him win in California. We saw them win, I believe, what was it, Chicago? I mean, it wouldn't surprise anybody for him to win. Why Why this prediction?
1: That regular season last year was rough for Bowman. I mean, he made the playoffs, but just looking at his splits, he had a 0.453 pier during the regular season that jumped to 2.571 in the playoffs. Well done for Bowman. That was a, that was a, a serious playoff performance, but Ives was, having to work around some foibles last season and still that was the second fastest hendrick car uh he was one of the best strategists at the front of the field i'd put him up there with with gabe hart and uh and some of the rcr guys and i just i i see i see a star i see a star on the horizon and we're just going to get a better sense of what he is able to do Seemingly regardless of driver. He's figuring out ways to put his driver in clean air. That is what it takes nowadays to win in the NASCAR Cup Series. And uh, he has he's quickly found that out and has already had success with it.
0: All right. Good stuff. Yeah. I mean, a hell of a close to the season last year for Alex Bowman. I did a YouTube video a few weeks ago. He was 35 to one to win the championship, David. And and, and if you're just playing the format right, if you can make it to the playoff and be good at those few final few races, I was saying 35 to one is a great long shot bet, at least the ones that were you know it, it, of similar odds. So you never huh. know. And especially if if Greg Ives can improve uh, some of those decisions, uh, you never know what can happen.
1: Huh i i I don't think I'm going to hold your hand and drive off the cliff with you on
0: that one. <laughs> well, no, uh, for a long shot bet, not, not thirty
1: five to one. Of all I... the
0: drivers that were thirty five to one, I mean, I, I that that just stood out as that is the best choice because he's Alex Bowman and he had a hell of a good playoff, and that's what you have to do to win the title. So that's that's the only reason I picked him out of the the long shots. He was my okay. favorite. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, yeah i i, I think I think the team. Th- that that 48 team is rock solid. It uh, for me, it starts and ends with Ives. And yeah, I think that team finds its way back to victory lane this season. Good stuff. All right. For my crew chief prediction, super specific for
0: 2021. I went with Greg as well. Another Greg though, David, I think Greg Irwin crew chief for Matt Benedetto, vaults himself into the top half of best decision makers on pit road. Now, I know that may not sound too lofty of a goal for some of you listeners, but what if I tell you that Greg Irwin was the worst big team, full-time crew chief decision maker in the series last year when it comes to those green flag pit cycles? He retained position for his driver 40% of the time. When the pit window opened, his driver, Matt DiBenedetto, Matty D, was likely going to lose positions. That has to be debilitating as a driver. David, 11 times Greg Irwin in 2020 lost more than five positions in a green flag pit cycle. So what I'm predicting is at least just some swing of the pendulum toward the other way. This is a big team, Penske affiliation, especially at the super speedways uh, where they have to pick up some speed. I'm just throwing all my hopes and dreams that there is some improvement there from Greg Irwin and the pendulum swings the other way and he vaults himself into the top half of decision makers down on pit road. He owes it to the, the equipment that he has, the talent that he has, the team that he works for. I'm just hoping for big things for Greg Irwin. I,
1: I Go ahead and throw in that. He owes it to himself too, oh, because <laughs> in 2022, Austin Sendrick gets that ride. And I'm thinking you know, maybe he's, maybe it's not a hot seat. I don't want to, I don't want to fire off a hot take, but I'm thinking you might not want to go into an off season with a driver change with just a bad strategic record on your docket. Uh, so yeah, there was a lot of room for improvement. That was, that was a flawed race team that we saw last season. And there is a lot of, Blue sky above them. It could have been far better. De Benedetto could have realistically contended for wins. I won't say he should have been a favorite anywhere, but there were races they lost just on long runs. And that is, that has got to correct itself. If De Benedetto is going to uh, double down, make the playoffs again this season. I think the playoff race is going to be tight. I mean, that, it, there are just, there are more cars and there, are, there are better drivers. Uh, Bubba Wallace is in a better situation. Chris Bell's in a better situation. Tyler Reddick in year two. There's, there's going to be a lot to put up with. So those kinds of mistakes really could make or break, uh, an entire a season, uh, a playoff run, anything. And that car being a de facto Penske car, is built to be in the playoffs. That's what they're here to do. So, uh, yeah, I would say improvement would be hoove, uh, Greg Irwin to see if that happens in 2021.
0: Again, maybe I'm throwing out a, a wing and a prayer here, but uh, yeah, that that is what I believe will happen. So that is what I predict will be super specific prediction for my 2021 crew chief, Greg Irwin. Big improvement. And it, uh, kind of that tide rises all the ships over on uh, the the 21 car for Matty D as well. So we'll see, David. Those are our preseason, very specific predictions. Uh let, Let's look back at these maybe in the midseason or at the end of the year and see how we did. Deal? Okay, yeah, sounds great. Good. All right, good. All right, let's get to it, David. It is time. The season is here, and that means we are previewing the upcoming race as we do every week on Positive Regression, and that means it is time for our Daytona 500 preview. We're going to take a deep dive. And go into this, David, because it's the Daytona 500. It's only a few days away. It's going to be awesome. So, I mean, there's so much to talk about when we think about this race and winning it and getting off to a good start and what it can mean for everybody. But uh it is more than just a, a pack race, right? It is more, I used to call it a plate race. You can't do that anymore, but... When we think of what matters for winning this race, I was looking at, the, I was kind of analyzing the super speedway, uh, speed charts from last year, trying to, to deduce some storylines from there. I don't know if anything really stood out in terms of who won versus who had maybe the fastest cars. So when you're looking at this race, the Daytona 500, what matters toward winning? Is speed a true indicator of contention or is it something else?
1: Okay. So I interviewed. William Byron, a few weeks ago, and he he said that you cannot win with a turd, and <laughs> uh, that kind of crystallizes everything you need. I mean, you, you're, you're going to need more than just speed, but you, your car can't be slow and expect to, to do this. Whereas speed correlates closely with finish across all tracks, There is definitively no statistical correlation on drafting tracks, and that's based on last year's speed rankings. The need for a good handling car sounds uh, as if it's the bigger of those two desires, right? If it's typically 80-20 speed handling on the drafting tracks, it might be 60-40 handling over speed. Denny Hamlin said last week that he sets up his car a little differently than his fellow Joe Gibbs Racing drivers, wanting the car to have flexible enough handling to allow him to pull off the aggressive moves that we see him make successfully. Uh, artfully, he did not go into detail on what those moves were. I pressed him on that. He mm-hmm. would not bite, but Ricky Stenhouse offered a little detail. Ricky Stenhouse had the fastest car on drafting tracks for all of 2020, and he said that, yes, speed's not everything. And what he wants his car to do specifically is to turn off of turn four really well because he feels that is where most cars at Daytona get really tight, and that's the spot where drivers, if they're going to do it, lift out of the gas pedal, and he doesn't want to lift. He wants to be on the gas at the exact moment that others are not so that he can beat them back to the start finish line. So it's, it is a blend of the two. Um, you, you hear, um, you, you've heard coverage, you've heard, uh, folks say don't pay attention to the speed charts. They don't matter at Daytona. Well, it's not that they don't matter. It's that so much else matters in addition to it. Uh, and I think that that begins with the handling. I think that's going to be the focus that we see in the days leading up to the 500 and in the race itself.
0: All right. Good stuff. Interesting. Um Especially when you just think of the races in the past uh, about handling and coming off turn four and how narrow the track is at Daytona, especially when you compare it to a place like Talladega, it does come into play, especially at Daytona. Uh So something to think about there. Uh, good stuff you mentioned Uh, in terms of trouble spots, this is a question that always pops up. Would you rather be out in front or would you rather be hanging in back? You know, the same question gets asked to the drivers every year. I'm sure I've been guilty of it in the past as well, but obviously you want to be out front, but David, we've done plenty of podcasts in past years. How I think at one point, second or third place was the most dangerous spot on the track, right? Uh, did did last year reveal anything to us? Where are the trouble spots in the running order at a race like Daytona?
1: Yeah, it's a relevant question, Um, and and last year just sort of added to the trend that we've seen in recent years. Across the last 26 accidents containing four cars or more, the front of the field is the danger zone, and the high points are sixth place, which has a 54% inclusion rate in these kinds of crashes. Sixth place has been involved in eight of the last nine major Daytona accidents. Hmm. Uh, third place, ninth place, and 13th place each have 50% inclusion rates. And 13th, by the way, is on a streak. It has been included <laughs> in each of the last five big Daytona accidents. The lead position has been included in 27% of the accidents since 2017. That is up from 5% of accidents between 2013 and 2016. That shift in the accidents is due to blocking against fast closing rates. When the spoilers went up, the rates got bigger. And that is something that I wrote about this week in my debut piece for NBC Sports, um, that is a question that drivers are going to have to reckon with. Blocking is something that they have to do in order to achieve the goal that they've set out to accomplish, but uh, it's what could happen from those blocks that are, that are also going to leave lasting ramifications. Um, the entire chart for crash inclusion per position Uh, is available for free on motorsportsanalytics.com this week in case our listeners want to have that handy for race day uh, just so you can start charting where these accidents are taking place as you're watching the Daytona 500.
0: That's exactly what I was thinking, David. There are drivers listening to this episode. There are crew chiefs listening to this episode right now. And I just envision a driver who finds himself in sixth place during the race on Sunday. I wonder if they will think about positive regression and say, "Oh crap, I'm not in a good place right now because this has a high crash percentage." It, it only it, it, that is such a pipe dream in my head that maybe that might happen.
1: Well, I th- I think it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, well, not specifically towards our show, but I think it it might be at the back of some of these teams' minds when preparing is just. Uh, carte blanche, avoid the front of the field early. If there is really no need to be up there in a spot that sees the majority of accidents, there, there's, then they don't need to be there. I mean, we saw that last year with Joe Gibbs racing and Stuart Haas racing during stretches of the 500 just trail in the rear of the field. Um, no, it wasn't particularly exciting. I'm sure their sponsors weren't all that thrilled with that, uh, to do that in the biggest race of the season. But it was about mitigating risk. And it was a smart tactic to take. And so much of this race is tactics that doesn't get a lot of uh, coverage or weight when you think about it. This doesn't appear to be a thinking man's race, but... It kind of is. If you can try to control what you're able to control, you're going to do it. And there's a lot of thought put behind that. So it... I- I mean, it wouldn't strike me as odd that they're trying to avoid certain spots on their racetrack. They're trying to mitigate risk just so they can be around at the end.
0: That's one form of strategy. What else are you thinking about in terms of strategy? Because we've seen pit decisions be be a big deal because the way they cycle out, right, in terms of track position, you know, when to pit. And if you come out in front and all of a sudden you have all this great position, you don't have to worry about the, the middle of the pack or what have you. What else are you thinking about in terms of strategy when you think of the Daytona 500?
1: I think utilize any competition cautions or stage breaks, uh, to, to leapfrog up the running order. You know, that's not something that most folks think about in regards to Daytona, but if you can ride around in the back, kill off some laps, and then pit your way to the front, you avoid those trouble spots that we talked about. Um, and if you do it as a stable, as a team, we saw Stuart Haas do this a number of years ago at Talladega successfully. Uh, you, They can just be a bulwark at the front of the field. You can't get by them. Uh, it is hard. You need speed to do that successfully. But that is the dream. It's the only surefire way to win this race as a team. And if not, the race typically devolves into a free-for-all, and that is when we see the crashing. And Alan is unpopular uh, of an opinion. It is. I, I think that this race effectively does not start until stage two. I think that's when we see a lot of the machinations go into place and how teams are going to try winning the Daytona 500. We're going to start seeing cards on the table. The book is out on how to win this race, and teams are going to have to figure out ways how to to best apply their plan. So it it is obvious this race. Uh, I don't know, 80, 85% of it is about risk mitigation. So that's what you're going to have to think about when you're devising a strategy. Who, uh who wins the Daytona 500? I'll let you go first. Who wins the Daytona 500 on Sunday and how? Oh, oh man. Okay. Okay. Firstly, I think there are three components here. That I think if you nail all of them, you can win this race. And they are – if you're a driver that has a team that is willing to stick to a, a strategy, if you are able to restart efficiently, and and you have some creativity in your driving ability. Hmm. And two drivers come to mind that have uh, two of those things down pat – One is Joey Logano. Uh, He has the restarts, 71% retention on drafting tracks last season. He has the intuitiveness as a driver, especially at the front of the field. But, Alan, his strategy is concerning. It scares me off. He ranked first in average running position in last year's Daytona 500. I would be shocked if the winner of this weekend's race also ranked first in average run that's just too much time to be out uh in front and exposed like that. That's so, so much blocking that you've got to pull off. Another driver to consider is Eric Almirola. Hmm. He does have the strategy with Stuart Haas racing. He's an even better restarter than Logano with a 75% retention on drafting tracks. His problem to me is that he doesn't strike me as a resourceful driver. Like, Denny Hamlin could link up with Joey Gase and pull something off that's amazing. And I just don't trust Almarola to do that during the the closing stages. So I, I'm gonna hesitate to pick him, but my final answer uh to, to win this year's five hundred is Kyle Bush.
0: Whoa, uh, swerve.
1: <laughs> yes. He actually has all three of these components. Part of that JGR organization that knows what it's doing in this race. Denny Hamlin will benefit from this as well. Uh, but Kyle Busch ranked fifth last season in restart retention on drafting tracks. And his instincts in the draft, I think, are actually pretty good. They just don't result in anything memorable. And I think back to last summer, he led 31 laps in last year's Coke Zero, 25 of which we're in the second half of the race. It was a bad Tyler Reddick block that took him out of the running. I don't think that we have seen Kyle Bush's best at Daytona. Uh, if we do, I think he ends up winning this race. All right. Kyle Bush coming through for
0: his first Daytona 500. That would be big, especially after the year they had. Good start with, uh, that'd be a great start actually with the new crew chief Ben Bashore. Uh, David, I'm going with Ryan Blaney. Through, uh, me, and I'm just picking him on sheer experience. It's his year. uh, I know that's not uh, very analytical, but whatever that little, that little one tenth of extra. What talent or luck that he needs, I just think that it is his year for the 12 car. Uh, what Second there last year, three top six finishes on the drafting tracks last year. What I'm saying is we know he knows how to drive these races. He is right up there. Uh, we've seen him be out front. I, I mean, it was two years, I mean, what, no, now three years ago, 2018, he led all those laps in the 500, uh but got caught up in, in a wreck that I think was of his doing, actually. Hasn't led a ton since then in the 500, but... The ability is there. Uh He is one of those players that just sticks around the front and is always seemingly there at the end of these races. It's just that lately, you know, it's been the Denny Hamlin time to get that little bit right at the end or you just miss out. David, this is more intuition, I guess, but I think Ryan Blaney gets it. Two second-place finish in the Daytona 500 before this is the year he gets it.
1: I understand where you're going with that pick and and I and I do think I do like it. Um, he is so aggressive. So many blocks, good blocks, sloppy blocks. Uh he was aggressive in last year's Daytona 500. He's aggressive at Talladega whenever we see him. And somehow he has that staying power. He manages to avoid some of these scenarios and even looking at his restarts He's a top 10 restarter mm. at the drafting tracks. He's at 61%. He had a one position net gain last year. That was actually his weakest track <laughs> for, for restarts, and he's still a top 10 guy. I think that speaks well to his ability. But boy, yeah, that's, that's a really good shout because it's a driver who, on a track like Talladega, where maybe – it's less to do with handling, a little bit more to do with car and savvy. Um, him putting it together in Daytona, I can see him evolving towards that. So uh, certainly he'll be one to watch. I can't imagine that there's a scenario in which he just doesn't lead a single lap in this weekend's 500. So I have, yeah, I have a feeling we'll we'll be seeing a lot of them on Sunday.
0: Ryan Blaney versus Kyle Bush. those are our two picks we'll be uh, we'll be thinking about uh, this Sunday while we watch. After you've listened to Positive Aggression, of course, and a new twist for this year, David. Last year, a very popular little segment we had was Contrarian Contenders. Every week, we would pick somebody maybe off the radar to potentially contend for a uh, a race win where we're, we're going to change it a little bit. We're going to call them contrarian performers because, you know, it. it not everybody can win, right? But we, we want to give that love to the off-the-radar drivers who maybe you should watch a little closer than normal on a given week. Uh, expect a good showing or maybe a, a crazy stat line. Uh, David, I'll let you go first, but in, for Daytona, I mean, it, it's generally why the— the pool of drivers, right, that could potentially win or put on a good performance is generally a little bigger at these drafting tracks. So who is your
1: contrarian performer for the Daytona 500? Mine is Ricky Stenhouse. And, we, you know, he had the speed <laughs> last year. He he won the poll for the Daytona 500. Yeah. But as we discussed, he focuses on handling. And I, I think the lack of a deep team... You know, he's part of a two-car stable at JTG, um, but that lack of a team sort of removes strategy a little bit from him. But keep watch of what he's able to do within the draft. Uh I know that Kurt Bush is terrified of him, uh, from, and that's from an accident <laughs> point of view. I'm aware of the jokes uh and the crashes, but... Stenhouse is a really smart racer on the drafting tracks. He does little things very well. If you see him in a draft in a line and he ventures towards the opposing line, that's not a mishandling of the wheel. He is side drafting. And when he's doing that, he's siphoning off speed from a car in the opposing line. And that makes his line faster. Uh, TJ Majors, spotter for Joey Logano. Uh, pointed that out to me. He said when the 47 is in a line, he pulls his weight and it's noticed among the competitors within the field. Uh the, it, I mean, at this rate, it sounds like he'd be a perfect uh, domestique in the tour de France. Right. <laughs> but that doesn't exist in NASCAR. I, I, I think he's going to influence this Daytona 500 one way or another uh, in a positive way, even if his effort isn't reflected in the finishing order.
0: I, I called your pick weak only because I, I think it's kind of obvious. I mean, he's just he's strong on these. He's, as you said, I, he had the fastest car on drafting tracks last year. I don't know how contrarian that is, David.
1: I think he's smarter than people give him credit for, at least in the the art of drafting. And yeah, does he press the issue sometimes? Absolutely. He's crashed a lot of cars over the course of his career. But in sort of understanding the the benefits of air and the strength of a line, like to me – Let's, let's throw some of our guys in there. You want to take your, your pick to win, Ryan Blaney, my pick to win, Kyle Bush and, and Ricky Stenhouse. That's a pretty strong line. If you've seen that all just one, two, three like that, that's going to be a tough one to beat. And when you are in the throes of competition, you're looking for guys that you can trust that can make your line go faster. We're going to see some drivers, uh, make some really bizarre pairings uh, in the race, the ones that just don't seem obvious, but to them, it's going to be slightly more than desperation. I think if you're going to make that choice to ride with a guy, you're going to kind of know what they bring. And I think we're going to see a lot of folks attempt to work with Ricky Stenhouse and maybe we wouldn't have thought that.
0: All right. Um, not, not too bad, but, uh, my contrarian performer for this weekend, I'm going with Corey LaJoy. David, because, uh, we, we talked about him last week, I believe, or at least on the first two episodes of the season, but, uh, we know he has drafting track prowess, right? He is around at the end. He is, uh, that, that patient type of driver to keep it clean and, and be there at the end. Uh, that, that, uh, that's a lot of what my pick is going into right now, but he's also in a better situation. I think he's, he's with the Spire car number seven. Uh, I, I like the confidence in his voice only because you talk to him. That is being prepared uh right next to the cars of Kurt Busch, Ross Chastain, Jamie McMurray. I mean that that in theory should be better equipment, a better shot, uh, just a better ride that Corey LaJoy has heading in to this Daytona 500 than the pennies he was stacking in previous years. So I'm just buying into that hype. If you are a patient driver, racing with a brain, uh who is confident in his abilities, I believe Corey LaJoy is that driver this weekend. Uh and so I I expect uh a quiet top 10, if not better, for Mr. LaJoy.
1: And I think the biggest benefit that you, you you had that nugget in there, Kurt Busch, Ross Chastain, Jamie McMurray, he's got teammates if he wants them. And, you know, I, I'm actually probably more pro team orders in NASCAR than than most folks. I don't think they work very well on the drafting tracks except for finding teams to pit with you. And for the last few years, he hasn't really had that driving for go fast racing. He's got something substantial around him now that he previously didn't. And he still was able to accomplish some of the things that he's pulled off the last few years for go fast. But now he has a meaningful way to sort of navigate this race. It isn't, it isn't as haphazard as it once was. And oh, by the way, if Crew Chief Ryan Sparks uh, mm. comes through with some solid strategy, I get all the points for that. Uh, what say you, Mr. Clinton Cram? Are you, are you okay to, uh, to, to seed me points as long as LaJoy comes out the, uh, the victor?
0: Of course. Um, yes, for listeners who listen to our crew chief draft, my, 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 my game may already be, uh, astray. So I don't want to reference it too much more after this, David. I'll just start planning wherever you want to get dinner, uh, in November. Okay. Deal?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds great.
0: All right. Good. All right. So we have Ricky Stenhouse and Corey LaJoy as our contrarian uh contender or contrarian performers. Even I got it wrong. Contrarian or first contrarian performers for 2021. David, I'm just happy the season is here. We have racing to preview and next week we'll have racing to talk about and more previews. And it's just fun to uh look forward to something as cool as the Daytona 500.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, it it does feel good to be back. I'm happy. I'm happy to be able to talk to you every week again. That's nice. Good stuff. We are back. Great episode this week. Don't forget we are available on
0: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Luminary, and TuneIn. We're available no matter your device. Our entire back catalog of episodes is available for free at Pod. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. David, I was going through some of our reviews and even those are entertaining. We have great listeners who all happen to be, uh, just fun, you know, great writers and any review you give us, it it just, it helps in spreading the word. We of course notice and it is so appreciated because, uh, you know, telling your friends about this podcast really helps us grow. If you have any questions, we love to answer them mostly because we have uh, smart listeners who ask great questions. So reach out on Twitter at POSREG Pod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, congratulations.
1: You got even busier this week. So what's going on with you? Yes. Uh, new outlet for me at NBC Sports, uh, getting to, uh, to write for them, uh, this season. It should be a lot of fun. It begins, uh, this week. It'll be already be posted by the time that you're listening, but a story on blocks at Daytona. I actually, Sat down with William Byron uh, over Zoom. We did a share screen, and I just had a bunch of blocks queued up, and he walked me through them, told me a story of how the practice incident with Brad Keselowski two years ago prompted him to really sharpen his blocking ability on the super speedways, and he's done it. He was a two-time Daytona winner last year, the qualifying race and the 400 uh and we talked about good blocks bad blocks uh a- analyzed a lot of it um there's just there's charts it's a lot of fun it's the debut you'd kind of expect from me at a big uh, big outlet and uh this Sunday every race day will be a race preview focusing on strategy focusing on trends i will do that for the Daytona 500 i'm going to focus on speed and its relationship with Daytona, among other things. So check that out. Keep your eyes peeled to my Twitter account at DavidSmithMA.
0: Very cool. Congratulations again, because that's a big uh, outlet and uh, the, the readers over there are going to be blown away by the stuff you're about to bring to them. So very cool.
1: Oh, thank you so much, sir.
0: No problem. David, I'm doing a little bit of everything, so just keep it on my Twitter account over at Alan Cavana on Twitter. Check out my new YouTube page. I'm trying to learn a new skill over there, Alan Cavana Media over on YouTube. And his new venture I'll start this week is the, the fantasy show, the revamped fantasy show over at NASCAR.com. Uh, hopefully making, uh, some good choices for you and offering up some good advice as you've set that fantasy lineup and maybe choose some, uh, some odds to, uh, when, when you're making those bets. I hope to bring a lot of knowledge, especially stuff we discuss here on the podcast, toward the new fantasy show over on NASCAR.com. So a little bit of everywhere. Just keep up with me over at at Alan Kavanaugh on Twitter and uh, check it all out because I think it uh, should be a good weekend as we look toward the start of the season. And, of course, make sure you keep it here to positive progression. Thank you, everybody, for listening. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavanaugh. We'll see you next week.